Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. China's control over Hong Kong might be even stronger after Sunday. That's when Hong Kong is holding an election. But because of new rules put in place by China, most people, even if they do vote, won't get much of a say in who makes up the government. And this election has been called a sham. It's been called undemocratic. What's interesting about it is this desire to keep this very thin veneer of democracy over a system which is growing ever more undemocratic. James Griffiths is The Globe's Asia correspondent. He'll tell us how the election shows Beijing's tightening grip on Hong Kong and what's happened to its pro-democracy movement. This is The Decibel. James, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So what's the mood like in Hong Kong right now, heading into this this election on Sunday? I've covered Hong Kong for, for over seven years. I've covered multiple elections here. And I think one of the biggest differences is that while Hong Kong has not really been heading um, in the direction that a lot of people in the pro-democracy camp would want, you know, that, that's the reason that sparked the 2014 protests, the 2019 protests, all of this, you know, there was always this sense of optimism and of, of re- a real kind of faith in the democratic system or, or the limited democratic system that, that was in place. Even in 2019, there were local elections that they had an over 70% turnout. You know, there were blinds around the block, the counting had, had to be delayed. There was a huge, you know, belief in voting and, and you know, showing your, your opinion and, and get, giving a message to the government in that in that way. And I think that's what's been the strangest thing about covering this this current election is that kind of optimism and that kind of faith in the system has gone. Just very, very, you know, kind of ordinary, non-radical uh, pro-democracy voters who do not intend to to turn out, who feel disillusioned. And, uh, and this is an election that is called the, the quote, Patriots Only election. Can you tell us, like, what is that supposed to mean? So uh, in the wake of the national security law, which was imposed on Hong Kong by Beijing last year, there was a reform of how elections work here to to make sure that, yes, that Hong Kong is governed by, quote, patriots. Uh, And what that essentially means is that now all candidates for public office and and indeed a lot of uh, civil servants positions and things like that require um, oaths to, to the central government or they require some kind of uh, vetting. So every candidate that is standing in Sunday's election has been pre-vetted by um, this thing called the Election Committee, which is completely dominated by pro-Beijing heavyweights and, and government figures. Outside observers have been fairly critical of this election, though. Why is that? There is very strong argument that this is not a, a democratic election. You know, that if you have pre-vetting for every candidate, it doesn't really matter that if you uh, then let people vote freely for them. This was actually a problem which dates back to, to 2014. That was one of the, the suggestions for a reform that provoked the umbrella movement in Hong Kong. You know, people said this isn't real democracy if all the candidates are vetted. And we've ended up with that system in a slightly different form now in legislative elections. And this election has been called a sham. It's been called undemocratic. What's interesting about it is this desire to keep this very thin veneer of democracy over a system which is growing ever more 
undemocratic. So in the past, Hong Kong has elected about half of uh, the city's parliament, LegCo. In the new system, they'll be electing only 20 out of 90 seats. But again, those 20 seats, the candidates for them have all been pre-vetted. So, you know, they're choosing 20 lawmakers out of an approved list. So there's that control already put in by Beijing. And then 70 other lawmakers are essentially chosen by pro-Beijing groups. And so it's quite a strange situation that you have that there is an election going on, but not one that necessarily the public's engaged with and not one that's necessarily as democratic as it would like to pretend to be. So another factor here, too, is that many of the pro-democracy candidates aren't running because they're either in exile or they're in prison. When and how did that happen? So this goes back to the national security law, which was imposed on Hong Kong last year by Beijing and and banned uh, subversion, secession and collusion with foreign powers. Three offences, which are, you know, as people can hear, pretty broad and vague and have been used in a very broad way. About a week or so after the national security law came into force, uh, there was a primary election held by pro-democracy parties, which was designed to thin the field ahead of the, the main election and you know give them a better chance of, of getting in and not splitting the vote. In January this year, all of the candidates who took part in that primary election were arrested and dozens of properties were raided. And the government said that this was a subversive act and it was designed to undermine the election the you know the legislative election by by giving pro democracy parties a better chance, and forty seven of the fifty three people that that were arrested are currently facing charges. They face years in prison. A lot of them have been remanded in custody since last January, so they're coming up on almost a year in prison. Why does Beijing care if there's a democracy movement in Hong Kong or not? What are they scared of? That's a good question because I think a lot of people would argue that had Beijing left Hong Kong alone and let Hong Kong get on with its limited form of democracy that it had after 1997 when when the Brits handed Hong Kong over to China, that the city wouldn't necessarily have, you know, tilted towards independence or separatism or, or any of these, these things that Beijing really fears. But it's actually Beijing's heavy hand, especially since 2014, that has, you know, encouraged support for separatism in Hong Kong. That's one reason. And then there's also the fact that in the early years of Hong Kong's existence and under Chinese rule, that there was a sense and maybe a very overly optimistic sense that China itself would liberalize and head in Hong Kong's direction. And that also clearly hasn't happened. The Legislative Council, their parliament, uh, or, or LegCo, as it is also called, it has a very complicated structure. And we don't have to get into every tricky detail of it because it is complicated. But I guess the really important part is that it's not as simple as, as our system, where every citizen gets one vote towards a candidate. Why is Hong Kong's system so complicated? Um, I think the most important thing to remember when we talk about, especially LegCo, is that this is essentially a colonial system. It it is the system that was in place under the Brits and it continued to be in place uh, post-1997. So so this was a system that was never really designed with uh, representative democracy in in, in mind. It was designed to inform a all-powerful colonial governor and give people some limited form of representation. So after 1997, we had a system where around half of uh, half of the seats in LegCo were elected by the public, the so-called geographic seats, and that they're, they're you know they're your standard kind of parliamentary ridings, and, and they work 
very similar to any other country, uh, parliamentary democracy. But at the other half of seats in Lejko were uh, functional constituencies, which are sometimes very, very small business and, and kind of society groupings. So there's a agriculture and fisheries functional constituency. There's a financial services functional constituency. And, and because these groups are so small and because often their business was completely dependent on relations with the mainland, you know, they tend to be very, very pro-Beijing. And, and sometimes, you know, people would run unopposed in those seats. And, and since the new reforms have come in, it's become even more complicated and even less possible for pro-democracy candidates to win a majority. Because now there are 20 seats which are nominally elected and open to the public, and there are 70 seats which are almost guaranteed to return pro-Beijing candidates. Yeah, so when we put it like that, 20 out of 90 is, is the say basically that people get. That's a that's not a huge percentage then. It's not. And, and again, it's 20 out of 90 with only vetted candidates, which ensures that you're not going to get the kind of radical lawmakers or um, you know, pro-localist lawmakers that you got in 2016, which was the last time Hong Kong elected a parliament. You know, that was the most radical parliament that had ever been elected and was maybe one of the things that really alarmed Beijing. James, can you tell us what's it been like reporting in Hong Kong now in in the run up to this election? You know, even within the very constrained new system, this vetted patriots only system, there is a a degree of tension and of paranoia that that you've never seen before. So, so, you know, Hong Kong was somewhere that was very, very easy to talk to, to candidates. You had a huge amount of access to politicians across the spectrum as a reporter. That's not the case this time. Uh, it has been very, very difficult as a reporter to to get access to, to especially to the candidates who describe themselves as non-pro-establishment or centrist candidates who, you know, are kind of appealing for pro-democracy votes. You know, I had one candidate um, after I'd been texting him for quite a long time of trying to set up a, a, an on-the-record interview. You know, he responded, I'm sorry, I think I can't do the interview because of legal problems. And, you know, there's this fear that if they say the wrong thing, they either could be disqualified from the race or even worse, could face some kind of repercussions under the security law. So, you know, not only is this election happening under this kind of depressed poll and this lack of of optimism and enthusiasm, it's also happening under quite a real degree of of fear and, and tension due to the security law. Do we have a sense of of what we expect the the voter turnout to be like uh, come Sunday? There has been some polling. A very well-respected think tank did a poll uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and they found around 50% of respondents said they planned to vote, um, which is the lowest they said they'd had since 1991. Some pro-Beijing figures even have have said that we could go as low as 20%. Uh, So so Carrie Lam, who's Hong Kong's leader, Beijing-appointed leader, um, she said last week that that actually, uh, you know, low turnout isn't too much of a big deal because, quote, when the administration is doing well and its credibility is high, voter turnout will decrease because people do not have a strong impetus to choose different lawmakers. But at the same time, they are also frantically uh, you know, urging people not to boycott or spoil their ballots. How has the Hong Kong government responded to calls for boycotts? 
very aggressively. Uh, the Hong Kong government has, has made it clear that they regard encouraging other people to, to boycott or, or to spoil their ballots as illegal. They've already arrested a number of people within the city for sharing posts on social media, encouraging people to do so. And they've even taken a very aggressive stance towards uh, foreign media and, and foreign figures who have been um, from overseas urging people to boycott. So recently we saw an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, um, which said, quote, boycotts and blank ballots are one of the last ways for Hong Kongers to express their political views. The Hong Kong government reacted furiously to that. They, they called it baseless. They accused the paper of scaremongering. And they even threatened the paper that, that this was an illegal act, irrespective of whether the incitement is made in Hong Kong or abroad. Arguably, they've promoted this idea of boycotting far more than, than any of these figures because it, you know barely a day goes by without some Hong Kong government official coming out and saying how bad it would be if everyone boycotted the election. Um, so, so, you know, they're very they're clearly very worried about this. Hong Kong elections in the in the past have sparked huge protest movements as well. So, for example, the, the 2014 umbrella movement, which which people might remember. Is there any chance that protests will happen again uh, this Sunday? So since the security law came into force, there has not been uh, any mass protests. It's difficult to predict, but 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 uh, you know I would be very surprised if there was any kind of mass protest um, over the weekend or even in the weeks coming. Uh, both because a lot of the traditional organisers are, are in prison or have already fled, um, and and also because of this this sense that apart from a riot to go out and protest, you, you do need a kind of optimism and hope that, that your protest is going to do something that it's going to change something, and and I think. Hong Kongers have have had the lesson really underlined to them that that it doesn't matter how how many people you turn out, um, the government's not going to listen to you. From everything we've talked about here, James, it, it does sound like this election is is really to present the appearance of democracy, but this is very much controlled by Beijing. Why why even have this election in the first place? I think that's a good question. It is costing Hong Kong taxpayers a lot of money. It's probably going to have a very uh, low turnout. Uh, it's not going to provide necessarily any kind of sheen of legitimacy to to LegCo, especially in the eyes of the international community. Um, and, and I think it maybe speaks to to the kind of brand that democracy still has. You know, even the the word democracy, even if if in principle it isn't taking place, that being able to say we have a democratic system, we had some kind of votes, that. Is seems to still have a, a huge kind of cachet with with leaders, um, both with the Hong Kong government and, and even with Beijing. Beijing's recently been arguing that actually its own system, it's the one party uh, communist party system, is actually democratic and and is and is its own form of democracy. I think it kind of points to the degree to which the word democracy, if not the system, can be a fig leaf for all kinds of autocratic systems. James, thank you so much for joining us today and walking us through all this. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's it for today. I'm Nainika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to James Griffiths. You can find more of his work at theglobeandmail.com. You can also email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at RW. And if you haven't already, please follow The Decibel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>